Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Today's episode will be a preview of the National Bank Open. Canada Masters. The men are in Montreal this year. Women in Toronto. I will preview the men's draw as always. Quarter by quarter. Dark horses. Upset alerts. Quarterfinal predictions. Popcorn matchups, etc. But I will start with some quick words on the results from last week. Beginning with Daniil Medvedev breaking his drought in finals. He had lost five straight finals, didn't have a title in 2022. Despite that, was the world number one. I had spoken about how that was likely going to weigh on the mind a little bit, and it was going to be important that before that streak gets too drawn out, or perhaps before he's in a situation where maybe he's in, say, a U.S. Open final and the stakes are enormous, that he just picks up a win just to quiet any demons that may have existed. And he said after the match that he did feel some nerves from the situation. You know, Daniil's a very smart guy, sometimes maybe too smart for his own good, and he's going to be well aware of his standing and his recent results in a way that is going to be relevant to how he's feeling out on the court. He gets the win over Cam Norrie, who, by the way, I didn't. I don't think is a great matchup for Medvedev being a very flat hitter off the backhand. We've seen players who hit flat off the backhand give Daniil some issues. Most prominently, Hubert Hercotch. More on that later. Uh, so it was a big win. And as far as the match goes, I thought Medvedev's defense really squeezed Nori. Cam, something I've noticed, especially looking at his match against Djokovic at Wimbledon and and this match, is against the best movers, the very elite defenders. It just feels like Nori tries to provide a little extra, put more venom in the ground strokes, and he just goes from... He, he hits the red, I would say, on his... in terms of what he's able to do on his ground stroke speeds. And it leads to errors. So I think it was true in the Djokovic semifinal at Wimbledon. It was true here. He's playing one of the great defenders in the sport, and he is overhitting into errors. Medvedev's court coverage was was incredible. There was some tremendous scrambling from Daniil, and I thought that really weighed on on Nori eventually. And Cam Cam made too many errors again here, uh, but it was a big credit to to Medvedev's D. Another thing that I liked on Medvedev's side is uh, I thought he got a little bit bold on the backhand. The forehand had some moments where I felt like the classic Medvedev issues were were coming up where he wasn't finishing forehands from the middle of the court, not finishing from the midcourt, uh, not being able to penetrate Cam through Cam. But I felt his backhand more than made up for that in this match. He really trusted that shot and went after it, tried to finish points with it, it's such a fantastic two-hander that I really do like when Daniil goes all out, goes after it, and looks to finish with it, and doesn't rely too much on the forehand to create all his damage. That's where I think he gets into trouble from an offensive standpoint. There were some major key moments in this match where Daniil had attackable backhands, and he absolutely ripped them. Uh, just left no nothing... Uh, didn't cheat himself at all on his backhand side, and uh, thought, "Look, if I'm going to miss on the backhand, I miss. But I'm really gonna, 
I'm really going to try to finish the point with it. And I thought that served him very well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Cam did some good things in the match, too. He used serve and volley well in the first set, especially. Medvedev started to key in on the return, and by the second set, Nori's effectiveness, the surprise factor went away a little bit, and the effectiveness certainly went down. And I also thought Nori's flat backhand did draw some key errors. Medvedev hates the low contact point on both his forehand and the backhand. So uh, Nori almost won the first set. It would have been interesting to see what would have happened had Cam come through in the first set. It was very close to being the case as Medvedev served for the opening set, got broken, and had to win it in a tie break. Uh, but he didn't. And by the second set, I thought the physical toll that playing Medvedev takes on a player, even with Cam's tremendous endurance, um, it definitely went off the rails for Nori in the second set. So that's that. I, I also want to say that with Medvedev getting the title off of his chest, the monkey off the back is the saying that I'm really going for here. Uh, with, with Medvedev just getting that out of the way, he now enters historically his most successful part of the season. In fact, there is not a single tournament on the calendar in the next month where Medvedev hasn't won the title. Um, he's won Cincinnati. He's won Canada. He's won the U.S. Open. And there's no Djokovic. Nadal has pulled out of Canada. I think he's still in the running for Cincinnati. And Zverev just pulled out of Cincinnati. Those are Medvedev's three main rivals when it comes to best of three sets on a hard court. Those are the three best players with Medvedev, best of three sets on a hard court. It's Medvedev's to lose now, next couple of tournaments here, until the U.S. Open when we could get uh, some of the rivals that, that I previously uh, have mentioned back, especially Nadal. So it's an interesting time for Medvedev. Big title for him, big title. Uh, after going 41 days without a match, by the way. Oh, that's the last point I wanted to make. Good thing I didn't forget. Medvedev just went longer without a match than the offseason. Mm-hmm. Longer than the offseason. His offseason was three weeks. He just went without a match five weeks. I came into 2022 saying, I don't like the scheduling thing. I think it's going to catch up to him. I think he's going to get tired at some point. Fatigue's going to be a factor. This is not good. So I love that Medvedev got some time to kick back. I love that Medvedev got 41 days without a match. I think that can really serve him well. Best part of the season. Rivals out of the picture. Title drought out of the way. Rested. I really like where Medvedev's at right now. Nick Kyrgios has won another Washington, D.C. title. First title since uh, City Open in 2019. So he's won it again. And there is no hangover effect from making that, that run to the Wimbledon final, which is uh, somewhat significant because it's something we do see sometimes. And Nick has actually said... I don't want that to be me. I don't want to be that guy who has a big result 
and rests on their laurels for a little while or struggles to have spark for a little while. So it's good to see that Nick is not just all talk in, in that sense. But uh, mainly what I took away from this run is it was pretty physical. And there has been a notion that Kyrgios is moving better than he has at any point in his career and that he's in better shape physically than he's been at, at any point in his career. And I thought this more so than Wimbledon showed that. The fact that it was on a hard court and he had to play some longer rallies in some of these matches. Uh, the fact that he had to play every day. The fact that the conditions were so difficult, so oppressive, that a lot of players fell victim to it. Uh, many on the women's side, Emirati Kanu, Simona Halep, but uh, Taylor Fritz is one on the men's side. Uh, the heat and the humidity was legit. The rain delays did not help either. So this was a, a very physical week for all the players and for Kyrgios to get out of it and hold the trophy. Oh, Nishioka, I should say. Nishioka in the final was dead. He had nothing left. So this was a very physical uh week for a lot of the competitors. So for Kyrgios to get out of that, to play some longer rallies, I thought he moved really well in a lot of baseline rallies. Uh, it should be said that his quarterfinal matchup against uh, Tiafo that was a coin flip match. That was a 50-50 match where Kyrgios saved a handful of set points, uh, or match points, I should say, in the second set. And he did so very impressively, especially this uh, one backhand down the line in particular uh, was, was an absolute beauty by Kyrgios. And the serving was there all week too. Uh, but to me, physically, this was actually a more impressive effort than Wimbledon. You know, the serve still makes his matches less physical. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, the way he was rallying with Tommy Paul, rallying with Francis Tiafo in particular, um, to me, was uh, notable. Last thing on the Kyrgios run is his uh, forehand was pretty off. And I think he he showed, first of all, how good his backhand is because he can still win from the back of the court without full confidence on his forehand. There were a lot of matches where he just wasn't really hitting out and swinging through his forehand. I thought that was something that was true for much of the Tiafo match. And then in the Emer match, it felt like he was shanking every single forehand. Nishioka, it was okay. But from the back of the court, the backhand was the star of the show here. And the serve, as always, I think he returned serve pretty well also in this uh, in this tournament. So another title for Kyrgios. Um, his court date for um, in Australia for uh, the domestic charges that he's facing in Australia. That was pushed back. So it it was about, you know, it was going to be interesting to see. It was originally going to come this summer, I think uh, in this part of the year. I forget the exact date, but that's been pushed back. So that's not going to be a factor as he goes through this uh, North American hardcore swing, which is something that I also want to mention. Let's go to the preview. Masters 1000, back-to-back -back weeks, can't wait. It's going to be interesting. And I don't have a lot to say about this, uh, the conditions at this tournament. It's a, it's a medium hard court. There doesn't, there's not a lot that I can say 
about the National Bank Open and how it plays and the, the trends or the conditions. That's going to be very interesting. But I will say about the draw itself, it's um, it definitely didn't make predictions very easy uh, because I feel like the matchups as far as, let's say, the top seeds itself alone, let's just start with that. They are... Uh, they're very intriguing. They're very interesting. You know, you have in the top quarter, Medvedev Herkoc. These are the quarterfinal matchups projected if the seeds hold. Of course, they won't. Medvedev Herkoc. Herkoc has been a nightmare matchup for Medvedev. That's interesting. Rude FAA. I feel like they're both in kind of a similar place on hard courts right now. Um, that's an interesting one. Sinner Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas has dominated the head-to-head. But Sinner's form has been better than Tsitsipas last month or so. Rublev Alcaraz, that's the only one where I, I mean, you know, I like Carlos better than Rublev right now. If they played right now on a hard court, that wouldn't be very hard for me. Uh, but other than Alcaraz, Rublev, if you're just looking at the seeds, assuming that they were to hold, you can you can have some interesting debate when it comes to all these matchups. So uh, I thought it was a very even draw. Let's get into it. Daniil Medvedev's quarter. Medvedev, Herkoc, Schwartzman, Dimitrov. My dark horse in this quarter is Nick Kyrgios and Emil Roussevori. In the case of uh, Kyrgios, um, until he gets into seeded territory, which he uh, he's getting close. I think he's 36 in the world now after the DC title. He's pretty much going to be a copy-paste in the dark horse category. And the thing that I'll add on Kyrgios, despite me having a soliloquy already in this uh, show about him, is uh, the DC title, again, reinforces the idea that it, it wasn't just a run out of nowhere at Wimbledon. It wasn't just... Nick wasn't doing much, and then he just exploded, and Wimbledon happened, and whoa, he's in the final, and who could have saw this coming? That That's misguided. That that hasn't been the 2022 that we've seen from Kyrgios. The, the 2022 that we've seen from Kyrgios, I think he's won something like 19 of his last 20 matches. He has pretty much played well at every single event he's shown up at. He skipped clay court season, but... Pretty much every single event he's played, he's played pretty well. Very, I don't think there are really exceptions to that. Um, Emil Roussevori, I think it's time for him to, it's time for him to break through on hard courts. I don't know if it's going to be this month. I don't know if it's going to be in the fall. I don't know if it's going to be next year, maybe in Australia. But I've seen Rusevori physically get stronger and stronger. And the the baseline game that he possesses, the power off of both the forehand and the backhand that he brings to the table, his ability to hit on the rise, the serve getting a little bit bigger. I'm um, I'm thinking at a certain point that's going to happen. So Rusevori, my dark horse, he's had results in the past that have hinted at a potential breakthrough. I don't like him as much on clay or on grass, but on these hard courts, I feel Rusevori is a dark horse. Uh, upsettler is Diego Schwartzman. 
Uh, I haven't been all too convinced by Schwartzman throughout the year. I've found his level to be really up and down, and he does have a difficult draw. I do make him the slight favorite in the first round against Alejandro Davidovich Vakina, but in the second round, he could face uh, David Gafan. He could face uh, Albert Ramos Vinolas. Uh, both are, um, are difficult tests. So uh, I think he's in a difficult part of the draw. Uh, Hubert Hercotch, he's not in the United States, but he has been so good um, on North American hard courts in Masters 1000s tournaments. So I am high on Hercotch. I mentioned I'm high on Medvedev. Uh, I do think, uh, I don't know what to make of Dimitrov right now. You do have Alex Dimonor and Denis Shapovalov in this section. In fact, Medvedev's section is, is pretty stacked on paper. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, Shapovalov and Dimonor. It is my popcorn matchup in this quarter in round one. Look, I think Dimonor is controlling the tennis ball better. I think he's going to be able to take the ball early and rush Denis Shapovalov, especially on the backhand. And uh, I do predict Dimonor takes that, but the crowd will be behind Shapo. And uh, th that's a great contrast of styles and a match that I will be looking forward to watching, no doubt. Uh, Rusevori is playing right now. He's playing Stan Wawrinka. So hopefully what I just said about him being a dark horse will not be nullified. Uh, but unfortunately, I couldn't get this preview out uh, yesterday because I was working for Tennis Channel. This is a great quarter. There's a lot of interesting things going on here. My quarterfinal prediction is Medvedev defeats Hubert Hurkacz. Hercotch has been a nightmare for Daniil. He really has been. Um, he's won their last two matches. Uh, let me let me pull up the let me get, pull up the exact head to head so I can give you all the the info here. But really, it's because Hercotch is a uh, a fantastic net rusher. That that is why um, for the most part. Now his ball staying low, his backhand staying low, him being a flat hitter, Hercotch not giving Medvedev a lot of pace to work with in the baseline rallies. Those are all things that also help Hubert in this matchup. But I think the biggest reason is that he's a fantastic net rusher. He's able to attack Daniil, and uh, he's able to take advantage of Medvedev's defensive court positioning. So Medvedev's defense doesn't work as well against Hercotch, and that is why we've seen uh, Hubie win the last two matchups. Miami this year and Hala on the grass this year. Hala was a 6-1-6-4 blowout. Uh, we have seen, uh, we, we did see Medvedev beat Hercotch at this event last year. Of course, in Toronto, uh, not Montreal. Uh, but he won it in two tie breaks. I forget if, if Hercotch had any match points there, but it was a very, very close match. And uh, the tour finals went three sets as well. Wimbledon in 2021, uh, that went that went five sets and Hercotch won. So 3-2, Hercotch leads that head-to-head. -head. Why do I think Medvedev gets him back? I just think, um, I think this is Medvedev's time. So I'm not going to go against him. I think Medvedev is just primed to play his absolute best tennis under pressure. Uh, Hercotch... Hercotch hasn't been 
as secure as, um, you know, the results that Hercotch has put together recently. And sometimes he is great out of nowhere, but he lost in the first round last week against Emil Rusevori. I, uh, I did not think highly of his loss to Alejandro Davidovich Fakina at Wimbledon. So Hercotch isn't in form necessarily either between that and how good I feel about Medvedev right now. Uh, I'm just going to go with Medvedev here. It's a head-to-head that is uh, very close, and it will continue to be close. And I'm going to go with Medvedev this time to advance. Casper Ruud's quarter features Felix Ojealiasim, Cameron Nori, Roberto Bautista Agut. My dark horse here is Mimir Ketsmanovic and Alex Molchan. Ketsmanovic. One of the most surprising breakout performers of January, February, March on the hard courts. Uh, then he went a little. He went away a little bit. Besides a good run to the semifinal in Munich, uh, he looked a little bit underpowered on the clay. He didn't look all that comfortable on the grass. But here is a player who plays on the rise. That is the crux of his game. He takes the ball on the rise. And hard courts are going to be his surface because of that. So we're back on a hard court. Ketsmanovic should be back to being a dark horse, not to mention he looked very good in Los Cabos. Gave Medvedev a strong uh, test in the first set, went to a tiebreak. Just like Cam Nori didn't have anything left after a close first set, Ketsmanovic didn't either for Daniil Medvedev, but uh, it, it was a good run in Cabos for him. Uh, I'm feeling good about Mimir Ketsmanovic right now. Alex Molchan is my other dark horse. Molchan could face Kasparud in round two. I do think that he will. Um, I do think he will beat uh, Mackie McDonald. Did McDonald pull out? Actually, I don't know what happened there. Anyway, I, I, I think it's Molchan McDonald in the first round. Um, I think they actually shifted the draw is because Opelka withdrew, and then. Yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm just gonna stop myself here before I confuse everybody. But anyway. Uh, Watch out for Molchan Rude. If we get Molchan Rude, Molchan is very talented lefty who's going to be excellent at getting the ball to Casper's backhand and coming forward as well. And I, I think uh, Molchan beat Casper, or did he go three sets with Casper when they played in uh, in Munich? I think it was a three setter, and I think I think Rude ultimately won. Let me check on this. Um, yeah, yeah, Rude won, but it was a close three-setter in Munich. Molchan beat, Ka oh, Casper retired. I was going to say, Sevilla Challenger 2018. Uh, I think that's a tough matchup just tactically for Rude. So watch out. Um, I love Molchan. Molchan's really good. Uh, he's a little better on clay uh, than he is on, on hard courts. But this is a, a medium a medium-paced hard court that is going to give pretty much everyone a chance. No upsets, no upset alerts here, however. Um, look, Cam Nori, let's just take a look at the first round matchups with the seeds here. Uh, Cam Nori's not the kind of player to go to the next event and be tired and take a scheduling loss, in my in my estimation, especially on a hard court. So, uh, you know, he's got a tough one in Nakashima, but I'm, I'm pretty high on Cam Nori coming into this event. Uh, then you have Felix playing the winner of Nishioka, who's going to be dead, or Benoit Paire, who can't win a match. So Felix is not in much danger. I do think Rude's in some danger, but um, not enough for me to make him upset alert. 
And uh, Roberto Batista Gut has had good results in Canada, and he plays Marcos Giron, who came through qualifying in round one. So I'm not feeling any upset alert here. Uh, then, you know, uh, I mean, maybe Bautista Gut in round two, if he gets a really good version of, uh, of Jensen Brooksby, who plays Bublik. I mean, these Masters 1000 draws, at the end of the day, there's nowhere to hide. You know, there's no like, oh, someone got an easy draw. Like, that's very rare. And I just feel pretty good about all of these seeds. Um, I feel the top seeds, Rude and FAA, have the most firepower. But I also think there's some vulnerability there with Rude and FAA. You know, there have been moments where both of them have not had their best forehands, have, and as a result, have been very, very beatable. And you have a couple of guys in... Nori and Bautista Agut, who would be very much um, ready to take advantage of that. And they are very solid players who are not going to beat themselves and are really good, tough, hardcore players. But I think the bottom section of this quarter is especially stacked. Uh, talk about solid. You do have Ketsmanovic, my dark horse, in there. You have Nakashima in there. And you have Botik von Dezanskolp, who would play Ketsmanovic first round. And uh, that is my popcorn matchup here. Uh, Ketsmanovic versus Von de round one. Now, that is not a sexy matchup. That is not going to get mainstream attention. But um, if FAA is not on point, and, you know, if, or, yeah, I would just say if FAA is not on point, I would not be surprised to see one of them make a surprise run to the quarterfinal. Those are two excellent, I would say, top, 30 hardcore players meeting in round one. So I'm, uh, this is, look, the bottom section, really tough. Uh, probably the most competitive section of this draw. And that is part of the reason why, as my quarterfinal prediction, I have Rude defeating Felix Auger-Aliassime. This was tough. Now, first of all, Felix has really struggled here. I don't know if it's the hometown pressure. Probably is. Um... You know, he hasn't made even a quarterfinal in Canada. And uh, I'm sure at some point that will change, but it's something to consider. Uh, I think the the pressure of playing in your home country, it's sometimes a different kind of pressure. It can feel completely different when you have friends and family in the stands, for example, instead of just like, you know, your regular team and you're at you're at a major and in that in that sense, Felix has done a good job of handling the pressure and better and better as his career has gone on. But uh, you know that's something to consider. That as you know, Felix feels the pressure here, and I don't think he's built up enough confidence in his game in recent months. You know, he's lost that kind of air of invincibility that he had in January and February when I was so high on Felix's level. He's just not playing up to that standard anymore that uh, I'm not feeling awesome about Felix. However, he does play so much bigger than any of the players in his section. Now, Nori just beat him for the first time. Uh, in Los Cabos, but Felix had dominated that head-to-head. -head. And then if you look at a Botic or a Ketsmanovic, you know, I, the way Felix serves, um, he's got a lot more. And on this court, we saw what happened. Uh, you know, I, I do think that that could take him a long way. So I do have Felix getting to the quarters, but uh, between him being in such a competitive quarter, you know, I like Cam. I like Ketsmanovic. I like Van de Um I think there's a lot less threats 
in in the top half with Rude, where I think Molchan's a tough matchup tactically, but you know what? I still like Rude as the player who, once again, brings a lot more firepower than Molchan to the court. And uh, if he's on his day, he 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 will not be bothered by Molchan's defense um, and, you know, his lack of baseline power could, could be a problem. Um, so I go with Casper. And another thing is you might be thinking Gil always picks against Casper, especially on a hard court against a big server like Felix. And that's true. I was really impressive. Uh, sorry. I was really impressed English by Rude's win over Berrettini in the Stad final. I thought the technique on Rude's backhand return was the best I've ever seen it. He was able to shorten it up and take it early. And I started to see that occasionally from Rude on, you know, throughout the year. But that is a very, very quick court. Stad is way up in the Swiss Alps. So tons of altitude, huge server in Berrettini. I was very impressed by the way Rude returned the first serve. Again, quick conditions. So um, I'm also, I'm liking that Rude's coming off of a title and is also well-rested and showed me some good returning. So uh, I'm going Casper Rude out of this quarter. Stefano Tsitsipas's quarter features Yannick Sinner, Matteo Berrettini, and Gail Monfils. Oops. My dark horse here is Maxime Cressy. Cressy is a confidence player. He is a very volatile player when it comes to just, you know, his level of confidence. And right now it's high. Um, he won the title in Newport. He beat Jack Sock um, in D.C., avenging his loss at Wimbledon. And um, just looking at his draw, Karatsev, um, that's interesting because Karatsev takes the return so early. Uh, somewhat tough to serve and volley against. Uh, with that being said, Karatsev is a very beatable player right now in general. Uh, Gail Monfils, I think he can be susceptible to the serve and volley. And uh, that's only if Monfils is feeling himself right now and is healthy. If so, I expect him to get by Pedro Martinez, but you never know. So uh, a nice draw for Maxime Cressy, and he's my dark horse here. Um, then you have on upset alert, I'm going to go Matteo Berrettini. Um, I always hesitate to put Berrettini on upset alert because he is such a upset proof player, uh, but he plays Pablo Carreño boost around one. And that, that's a very difficult, uh, that's difficult. You know, Carreño Busta has not been consistent this year. He has taken some tough losses. But he has also shown some very high-quality tennis. It's really been a mixed bag. Uh, but I I do think highly of Karenia Busta always on, uh, at this time of year, on the North American hard courts. And uh, Karenia Busta is starting to look better and better. He did show a very good level in Hamburg. Um, and Berrettini, his, his year has been very stop-start, stop-start. It did look like he wasn't at full strength in Stad. And uh, let's see how he looks here. That is not an emphatic upset alert, uh, but Berrettini is my upset alert. Early popcorn, uh, Tsitsipas taking on either Hugo Gaston or Jack Draper in round two. Always interesting to see lefties against Tsitsipas able to attack 
the one-handed backhand, of course, Gaston, one of the great entertainers. I don't think Gaston will beat Draper. I do favor Jack Draper, and uh, I, I want to see Draper's serve plus one uh, taking on uh, Tsitsipas. I think it'll be uh, a good one and an entertaining one, and that is my early popcorn matchup. My quarterfinal prediction here is Stefano Tsitsipas defeating Yannick Sinner. Sorry if you just heard my phone buzzing a bunch of times. I've silenced it. Um, Tsitsipas has seemed to own Sinner. You know, he beat him handedly in Rome. He beat him handedly at the Australian Open. And I know that the way Yannick Sinner looked at Wimbledon, incredibly impressive. Sinner winning the title in Umag, beating Alcaraz, incredibly impressive. Uh, versus Stefano Tsitsipas, who got upset at Roland Garros against Holger Rune, who lost to Nick Kyrgios at Wimbledon. You know, Yannick Sinner has deservedly gotten much more positive press than Stefano Tsitsipas has um, over the course of the last uh, two months, or maybe, you know, just six weeks, whatever it be. However, I think this is a, a get-right spot for Tsitsipas. He has had success at this event. He made the semifinal here in 2018. Um, or, or sorry, the final here in 2018. I believe he made the semis here uh, in 2019. He likes it in Canada. He is rested up. He can turn the page. Uh, he is mentally refreshed, which is an important thing for Tsitsipas because I do think he gets mentally fatigued and... Um, I think he'll come out here with some confidence. Another key is that the hard court, this particular hard court, I think is a good speed for Tsitsipas. I like the medium pace. I think the U.S. Open, as they've sped it up in recent years, has looked a little fast for Stefanos. I think Cincinnati, although he's had good results there, can certainly look a little bit fast. But Sinner is a player who doesn't bring enough pace off of his serve to really bother Tsitsipas's return in these kinds of conditions. Tsitsipas can be a little bit sharper and a little bit more proactive on the serve plus one, and he'll have a lot of confidence in that matchup. I also think that it's not a terrible section for uh, for Tsitsipas, um, although Jack Draper is an intriguing opponent. Um, you know, Tsitsipas, his highest seed is Gael Monfils, and that could be positive. Obviously, it would be interesting to see if it is Tsitsipas Cressy. That could offer some intrigue on its own. Um, in fact, I hope I think Tsitsipas is hoping not to see Maxime Cressy. Uh, but Tsitsipas is my pick coming out of uh, of this quarter. Let us move to Carlos Alcaraz's quarter. Top seeds are Andre Rublev, Taylor Fritz, and Marin Cilic. Rublev, Fritz, Cilic. There's a lot of power there. There is, uh, yeah, those are like three players who play basically the same exact style. Those are, uh, this is the power baseline quarter plus Alcaraz. Francisco Serundolo is my dark horse. I think, you know, let me just make sure. Well, you know, it's been rain delayed. Let me check on his score. He's playing right now. It is on serve against Karen Hatchinov. Yeah, so I, I think Sarundalo is going to win this match against Hatchinov. By the time you are watching or listening to this, you will probably know for sure. Uh, but I don't think the form that we saw on the post-Wimbledon clay, I don't think that's just a clay court thing. Now, Sarundalo, there's a lot to be desired on the serve. He did have that great run in Miami. But at the end of the day, 
Um, I think that forehand is going to bring him places. I also think he's moving pretty well. He knows how to trade his backhand. It's not a liability. This is going to be a player who is going to win a lot of baseline rallies with the prowess of that forehand. And for that reason, um, I expect to see some results from him um, coming up. But uh, once the courts speed up a ton, that's going to be a problem because his serve isn't good enough. His backhand isn't quite good enough to cope with those high court, with those really quick court speeds. He still needs to have enough time to run around his backhand and to find forehands and to get returns in play. All those things are key for him. Andre Rublev is on upset alert. Uh, it's been a while since I've watched Andre Rublev and he's really looked like the best version of Andre Rublev. Uh, he's he's looked vulnerable. He's looked volatile emotionally. Um, he hasn't been able to find the consistency off the ground that I know he expects from himself. And I think his... Um, I don't know that he's been as good a problem solver in the last couple months as we saw at the beginning of the year. You know, uh, Rublev... Rublev had a pretty good start to this season, but things, you know, it, it's just looked off for a little while now. Uh, his first round opponent, or it's really in the second round because he gets a bye, uh, is going to be tough as well. Dan Evans can bother Rublev and has bothered Rublev in the past with his backhand slice. And Philip Krajinovic is consistent as any other player in the world. And if it is Krajinovic, he's excellent at taking the second serve return very early, which is something that is always good to do against Andrei Rublev attacking that weak second serve. And uh, Krajinovic will also bring a lot of drop shots to the table, which is also a good play against Rublev to uh, bring him forward and make him hit volleys and execute the field shots. So tough draw, haven't loved the level. Andre Rublev is on upset alert. My popcorn match is Taylor Fritz against Andy Murray in round one. Murray getting another wild card here. Um, um, I don't know much to say here. I do think Taylor Fritz will win. It continues to be... Uh, Andy Murray continues to be a player who is uh, interesting to watch, kind of battle things out. But I thought it was one of his worst losses against Michael Emer in Washington that we've seen from him in a long time. So I'm curious to see how, how he rebounds. Um, this feels this feels pretty big for him. He needs to put up a fight against Taylor because that was a discouraging loss. He will not be, you know, he can turn the page on that, wipe, wipe the memory bank clean if he can compete very hard with Taylor Fritz here. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what we see from Andy. Quarterfinal here. I went back and forth on it. I ended up with Alcaraz defeating Taylor Fritz. I almost went with Fritz. I almost went with Fritz because we have seen some vulnerability from Alcaraz. There have been some recent matches against really good players, which Taylor Fritz is on a on a hard court. To me, Fritz is easily a top 10 player on a hard court in 2022. Um, we've seen some occasions where Alcaraz just hasn't been consistent enough. He's the number two seed at a Masters 1000 tournament. I still think there there is an adjustment period right now mentally to handling the big pressure matches towards the end of events. I think uh, he he's pretty good as an underdog at the end of tournaments. But um, I think there probably is still some work to be done with just 
dialing it back and making sure to stay consistent and being able to win the match when everything is not going perfectly, when the feel isn't there, and when he doesn't have his A-plus stuff, when he doesn't have his fastball. Um, so for that reason, I thought about taking a Taylor Fritz who you kind of know what you're getting. You know, you know you're going to get great serving. You know you're going to get an offensive brand of tennis. Uh, you know you are going to get um, a player who can hit backhands with Alcaraz all day, backhand to backhand, and to probably win that cross court. Uh, but I couldn't do it because Taylor's preparation has not been perfect. Post-Wimbledon, he's had some foot issues. He's been in a walking boot. He came back to Washington, and clearly he just hadn't trained much because he physically wasn't able to handle the conditions. So I do think that that could still be a factor and come back to bite him. Not in the first round, not in the second round, but if he's in a quarterfinal and he has to play a three-setter with Alcaraz, I don't know that Taylor Fritz has the legs to uh, to win a match like that right now. So uh, plain and simple, Carlos Alcaraz, look, he's back in a hard court. And by the way, it feels like Alcaraz has been a little bit more consistent on the true bouncing hard courts, especially a medium pace hard court. Uh, th this is the, with the exception of Madrid, this these are the conditions that we saw Carlos play his best tennis of the year on when it comes to what we saw in Miami and uh, at Indian Wells as well. So that's another reason why I'm high on Carlos. All right, final weekend here. I have Medvedev taking out Rude in two sets. Tsitsipas defeating Alcaraz in three sets. Yes, I do think it may be time that Stefano Tsitsipas reverses the head-to-head -head against Carlos Alcaraz. Alcaraz has gotten him all three times. Look, it's not like any of those three matches have been blowouts to an extent that I feel like this is going to be a Medvedev-Rublev situation where... Now, I know Rublev finally got him, but uh, I, I don't know some other examples. But uh, I do think that um, Tsitsipas has been right there. And we could get one of those matches with Alcaraz right now where, um, where Tsitsipas is just more consistent and more reliable from winning positions, from attacking positions on the forehand side. Uh, Tsitsipas feeling like an underdog in a semifinal against Carlos and finally getting it done in a close in a close three-setter. Uh, I don't think that that Alcaraz is going to run up the score in this head-to-head. -head. I think eventually Steph will get him. Medvedev taking out Rude. Um, I don't have too much elaboration on that, but Medvedev defeating Tsitsipas in two sets. I think this is Daniil's time. Uh, that's the one thing that I'm pretty confident about here is that I think Daniil Medvedev is going to be... Uh, Back to regularly scheduled programming. He is a great front runner. He is a great confidence player. He is not the kind of guy to he's not the kind of guy to start to get success or, or let success get in the way of his mental game. Daniil Medvedev is at his best when he's coming off a title, when he feels invincible. When he is like, you know, world number one, right? Like I, none of those things make me hesitate when it comes to Medvedev. I get concerned about Medvedev when things aren't going well, when he hasn't won the matches that he expects to win. That's when things can kind of 
snowball for him and plateau and he can start to get frustrated and impatient on the court and lose some of that swagger. But coming off that Los Cabos title um, without his his main rivals in the mix, I just feel very good about Daniil Medvedev, despite having that really tough quarterfinal matchup if Hercotch is able to get there. All right, that'll do it. Enjoy, everybody. I'll have uh, I'll have content for you throughout the week as I will be able to cover this tournament quite extensively. And uh, I will have a special U.S. Open Power Rankings video out on Monday. So make sure to look out for that. Hope you enjoyed this one. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time.